Well, good morning once again. Um, Pastor Jason and uh, Pastor Casey and their families, they, they've taken off on a cruise uh, to Hawaii. They left me here, and I'm very upset about that. And so um, I've got a word that I want to share this morning. <laughs> okay, that's not true. That's not true. They are um, ministering at a, a weekend retreat this weekend uh, called VN. And I think this weekend is specifically for the young ladies. And so, anyway, we have a lot of our people that are there serving as well. It's a beautiful ministry, and um, they are both there uh, sharing this morning. So I'm very grateful for them and, uh, and the opportunity to share the Word this morning with you. So uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to begin this morning. Specifically, looking at verse 36. We sing this, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And I love that because uh, the reality is he is here. And he's in our midst. If we're not careful, we'll fall into this mindset that we just, it's Sunday morning again, and we've got to get everybody up and ready and get back to church because that's what we do on Sundays. And we'll yell at each other and we'll scream at each other and we'll shove food in our mouths and drink cups of coffee and get up here really quick. And then we'll go through these motions and get up here and do church. And we'll forget that, wait a second, he's, he's here, this is, he's with us, and, and we can worship him. And what a beautiful, wonderful time it is to gather as family and proclaiming who he is and welcoming him to speak to us and to stir our hearts. And so that's my prayer this morning is that God will do that very thing. We're going to look at this scripture this morning, and uh, in fact, he's already doing that, isn't he? Luke chapter 7. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to begin in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, speaking of Jesus here. And he entered into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, 
But she's anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would speak to our hearts concerning your word. We pray, Lord, that God, you would reveal your heart towards us and that, God, you would take the simple words that are spoken here this morning and, God, you would capture those words, pour your spirit and your grace upon them and fill the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that may be brokenhearted, those that are needy, and those that are wandering aimlessly. And God, I pray that your word will give direction and and speak to hearts so that, God, we all may be changed. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Oh, my goodness, the imagery and the picture of worship is so fabulous when you begin to consider the woman and how she knelt before Jesus and and worshipped him. In verse 39, though, we see a character in this story, the, the, the one who invited Jesus to his home, the Pharisee. The Pharisee being one who studies the law and knows the law and recites the law and, and, up, and is upholding the law and lives the, the, the life that people can see who is honoring the law and, and, and keeping it legalistically, keeping it faithfully, keeping it with all his might. And in fact, some fellow Pharisees were having a real problem with Jesus, with some of the things that were taking place, some of the things that were beginning to happen in their city. And they began to murmur and complain. But this one invites Jesus to his house. And I don't know if it's that he's, his heart is softened to what he sees. I, I Really, I don't know what uh, even his motivation was, because it's not really clear here. But it does say that he invited Jesus and Jesus came. But you see what's going on inside the heart of this Pharisee as he begins to look upon the woman that has come into his house and who has knelt down there and begin to worship and love on Jesus. And it's an interesting thing because he, I don't know if he mumbles it to himself or he just simply thinks it, but it's an interesting thought that he has, isn't it? If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him. He would know, and he's thinking this, and I love it, because Jesus, the prophet, (laughs) knew exactly what he was thinking, and in fact spoke to him and said, hey, uh, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And so Simon turns to him and says, "Uh, yes, master, of course. Uh, What is it, teacher? Say say what you will. And Jesus begins to tell this story. He tells a story of a money lender who had lent money to two individuals. One, he had lent uh, 50 denarii, the other 500. And the both are in the same situation that... uh, Obviously, they had the money but couldn't pay it back. And so the story goes that uh, he was released. They were released. They were forgiven. And, and I, this morning, as I look at this story, I just want to point out those facts one more time to you. I want to talk about the similarities that we can see in these 
individuals that were given the money. The first one is this. In Jesus' story, they both owed. And what did they owe? They owed money to someone who had given to them. What, what is the reference? What is the point in this story that Jesus is trying to make here to this Pharisee who he's speaking to? Obviously, there's one that's owing 50, the other one 500. It would be easy to say that and for the Pharisee to think that, well, then maybe I'm the one who doesn't owe so much. Maybe I'm the, the one who hasn't had to be given so much forgiveness. Or, and maybe he begins to think like that. And obviously, the 500, that would have to apply to this woman. But they both owed. That's the point. They both owed. They owed a debt of gratitude. They owed, they owed uh, well, in fact, we owe, don't we? We owe. Because of the sin in our lives, because of, of, of the condition of our hearts, we owe. The Scriptures say in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there's none righteous, not even one, there's none who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned aside together. They've become useless. No, there's not one that does good. No, not even one. That's a pretty powerful statement. That in this room here, all of us present here, the Scriptures would go on and say, we're not righteous. There's not one that is righteous in our own. And we owe for that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 the scriptures say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word all there in the Greek means exactly that. All, right? We are all sinners. We are all in a boat that is sinking and our destiny is death because of the sin in our lives. They both owed. The second thing that you could pull from this, this story that Jesus is telling the Pharisee is this. They both couldn't pay. My translation in verse 42 says that they were unable to pay. Uh, The King James Version actually goes on, I believe, and says they had nothing to pay. Therefore, for the one who owed the 50, it wasn't like he had 40 and just couldn't come up with the full payment. It wasn't like he had 10 and could come up with the, the, the payment. He didn't even have one. It says they had nothing. They could not pay for what they had been given. As I'm reading this passage of Scripture and I'm thinking about this, it makes me begin to, and it just reminds me of some things that that come to mind in, in this walk with God. As somehow, if we're not careful, we will get into the mindset that we can somehow earn God or pay God back for his goodness and and we can do things for him that will put us in a better standing with him because of something we've done as if somehow we can work really hard to be right to take care of the debt that we owe and that'll satisfy him but Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. My friends, I'm here to tell you, you're not in right standing this morning because you were born into a very noble family that has a really good name in town. 
you're not in good standing this morning with Jesus and God because you have a bank account that is loaded with money and on occasion you take some out and give it to individuals. You are not on good standing with God because you've read through the Bible 27 times and have half of it memorized. That has not brought you into a place of having relationship with God because the Bible says all of your good works are as filthy rags. You can't earn God. You can't do the things that are needed in order to make this relationship right with a holy God and you being an unholy individual. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. And though we try at times, and if we're not careful, we'll fall into that mindset and thinking that we can. And we'll get under that pressure of trying to earn Him somehow where we make deals with Him. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. God, if you'll, if you'll, uh, if you'll allow me to... Well, just watch what I do today, God. I'm going to go really shine for you. And then we come back with an expectation as if somehow He owes us. When in fact, it's us that owe Him. And the reality is we can't pay it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. The third point, both of the individuals there, they both owed, they both couldn't pay it, and they were both graciously forgiven. I love that. Graciously forgiven. They couldn't earn it. They were just forgiven. It was freely forgiven, as another translation will say. It's not that, that, that you did something and so therefore he granted forgiveness. It was just the fact that he saw you in your condition and he granted forgiveness for you. And that's what the Scriptures teach us. Church, hear me. May we as a people always carry the heart and the attitude of graciously forgiving those that are around us. May we always walk in remembering how He's graciously forgiving us so that we then can graciously release and forgive others. May we be a people that when people come into this place, they feel nothing but the love of God and the the heart of God and the hope of God and not judgment or condemnation. Listen, if we're not careful, you can make people pay by the way you treat them. Oh my goodness, but you can communicate love and hope and God's grace and His mercy by the way you treat and love on people. Let's talk about the differences. The two individuals here, let's talk about the differences that you see in those individuals. Well, one owed 50, the other owed 500. You know, we as people love to rate ourselves, don't we? kind of rating that we do we do rating systems in the business world we rate all the time it's measurements we we look and see how well we stand up and we we compare and we take note and and so in a sense I my when I read this my first thought is yep there's a rating system 50 well that's that's let's say 50 is good let's say let's in fact let's just say 50 is excellent a rating of 50 is excellent well you're not perfect we know that but there's 50 that's not so bad And 500, well, let's rate that as being the absolute worst. Let's call that the lowest. 
That's, uh, you know, 50, you know, you're a good Christian. You have a quiet time every morning. You, you, you read your Bible. You, you tell three people a day about Jesus. You, you, you're, you're a good, nice, individual person. I mean, it's just wonderful. 500s, oh my goodness. Murderers, adulterers, thieves, filth, evil. This morning I ask you, where do you rate? Are you at a 50? Are you at a 500? Are you somewhere in between? Now, before you start giving yourself a number, <laughs> let's keep going in the message. Billy Graham, went, um, Billy Graham went and spoke on the Tonight Show, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show back in the day. I watched some clips the other day of him, and if you ever get a chance, you should go back and just listen to some of the things that Billy Graham communicated on the talk show host. I mean, it's, it's funny because they all respect and, and honor his place, and yet they know that He's a man of God, and they're kind of poking jabs at him and and trying to get him to see if they can catch him, you know, in some kind of mishap or whatever. So Johnny looks at uh, uh, Billy Graham, and he says, "Um, Mr. Graham, Reverend, how many of the... uh, Well, let me just ask you. Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? And Billy Graham responds by uh, saying... Uh, yes. And you can see Johnny's like, really? I wonder which one he did. Was it the fact that he, that he murdered? No, no, I wouldn't be murdered. Would it be adultery? adultery? No, no, I wouldn't be. Maybe he forsook God and, and worship other. I, so, and, and this is what Billy Graham says. He says, uh, I'm guilty of all of them. I'm guilty of breaking all of them. And Johnny Carson says, what? What are you talking about guilty of all of them? And J- Billy Graham goes on to say to Johnny Carson, Because I have fallen at one point in keeping the law, I'm guilty of breaking the entire law. And in fact, that's what James teaches us. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he becomes guilty of all. I knew that would get three people shouting. (laughs) This sermon's not going so well for you yet, is it? What I'm trying to do is get you to a place where you understand you're guilty of all of it. Wait a second, Pastor. I've never, ever murdered anybody. And Pastor, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, you've murdered them. You're guilty of murder. He also said that if you've looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. That's pretty serious, folks. Guilty. Guilty. The Bible teaches us that we are born with a sin nature. Because of the fall of man and sin that's upon this earth, we were born with a sin nature. And the reality is that we are all guilty of sin Some of us are walking out some of the consequences to our sins, and some of us, by the grace of God, are not walking out the consequences of sin. Can I just tell you something here this morning? If you think because you're a good person, you didn't do, and you fill in the blank, 
I'm telling you this morning, the only reason you didn't do that fill-in-the-blank thing that you just thought of is only because of the grace of God. It's not because you're a better person and you're a better person for it. It's the fact that God's grace has kept you. The reality is, we are all 500s. Thank you for not leaving. We are all 500s. But this is where the story gets really good. Because Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But God, but God demonstrated His love for each one of us that while you and I were sinners and guilty of it all, Christ came and died for us that you and I may be born again and saved. He took away our sins. He saw the horrible condition in which we were and solved to the fact that we could, not make re- we could not be the remedy or make the remedy or the answer to our problem. He became our Savior. He is the one who came and brought salvation to us. Because of His great love for us, He demonstrated that love by, die- by sending His Son, dying on a cross, and washing away our sins. Let me explain something to you this morning. You who were imperfect were made perfect. If I had two individuals up here and I said, this one here is absolutely perfect. There is not one thing wrong with him. That would be Jesus. And if I brought this person over here and I put them here and I said, this person here is full of sin and filth and destruction. This person's life is awful and it is worthy of nothing. That would be you and me. And Jesus took his purity and he placed it upon us. And then he took our sins and took it upon him. And then he went to the cross to pay for it. The reason you and I have great hope today is because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That the righteousness of God may be granted to each one of us and given to us. We don't stand here this morning with our righteousness and in our righteousness because we earned it or did one thing good. It was because of what Christ did for us and he and he alone Jesus came and he died on the cross and paid for our sins. He was buried and placed in a grave and three days later arose from that grave and walked upon this earth. He then ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me, calling us by name, praying for us, having left the Holy Spirit here to indwell in us that have called upon His name and to lead us and to guide us and direct us. Romans 10.13 says this, For all who call upon the name of the Lord, for all who call upon the name of Jesus, they will be saved. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing what God has done for you and me. It's a very powerful thing what he's done for each one of us in this place. And if we're not careful, we'll forget it. And this walk with God will become something other than what it truly is. 
I was lost, but now I'm found. Let's take a look at this woman very quickly in the story. The woman, the scripture says, is there and she's a sinner in the city. She's a known sinner. And in fact, if you go and you do some in-depth study looking at commentaries and things of that nature, you'll find out that, that it's in reference to her being a harlot. She's a prostitute. She has a reputation in the city. Everybody knows her as the one who sells her body over and over. And everyone sees her and speaks about her and knows her sin. In fact, it's her sin that identifies her. It's the reference to what she's done, her filth that identifies her and people understand who she is. And can I tell you a secret here this morning? And it's not a big secret. The devil wants to identify people by their sin. And he wants God's people to walk around identifying people by their sin. And he wants everybody to remind people of each other's sins. And he wants to, he wants to assign the identity of who you are based on what you've done in your sin. This harlot, this woman, was a little girl. We don't see that in the story, but we know she was, a, she was somebody's baby. She was a little girl that probably played with friends in the neighborhood. and We don't know her background, but I just want you to remember She's a person because sometimes we assign people based on their sins and we forget that they were a little daughter somewhere, that they were a little girl somewhere. I don't know. I'm speculating here. This is not scriptural, but I'm just speculating. Could it be that someday she was growing up and was getting all kinds of rejection from, from people? Maybe her parents neglected her and just threw her out there and didn't care a thing about her. Could it be that, that maybe as a little girl she's growing up only to be raped and, and her, have her mind tormented and twisted because of just the world that we live in and, and now she's tormented and, and she's looking for love and some young man comes and promises her love only to reject her and leave her alone so that then she's looking for love in another place just hoping that somebody won't reject her only to be done once again, and to be done once again, and to be done once again, and one offers her money and she takes it, and only to be done once again, and now it's a cycle that she's in, and she is now in a place where this little girl grew up and is now considered the harlot of the city. This girl becomes numb. This girl becomes dead within. And she's just surviving. And she has so much guilt and so much shame upon her life that she just goes through motions and doesn't even think about it. She's just going through the day. But one day, 
she hears that there's somebody coming through town that's doing some things. And the Bible doesn't reveal to us when this revelation came or how it came about. Maybe it was when she was there at the gates waiting for men to pass by that a funeral procession came by and there's a boy that's dead in a casket followed by a widow mother that's walking there and she sees this one called Jesus who then speaks out and calls the boy back to life only to see the reunion of a mother and a son who was dead now come alive and it just breaks her heart and she melts. Maybe it's when she's walking in the city and she's hearing stories about this one who's healing the people of their diseases and she knows one who's got covered in tumors and cancer and, and, and yet now has been completely changed because of this one Jesus that set him free. Maybe it's one that she knew was mentally tormented who had a mental disorder, disease, eating this individual up only for Jesus to come along and speak into that person's life and their minds be made right. Maybe it was when she saw demons cast out of individuals that were being tormented and disturbed because of demonic oppression. Maybe she was one of those. The commentaries make reference that this could be Mary Magdalene. We know that she had seven demons cast out of her. We don't really know based on the reference in this scripture here, but there are a lot that do believe that. Whether she had an encounter with Jesus in person or whether she saw from afar, somehow her heart opened up and she fell in love with this one. And her life began to change. The chains that held her captive and in bondage and made her numb to this world, all of a sudden those began to break. And she began to open up her eyes and see that there is one who brings great hope. There is one who can set me free. There is one who can break the chains off of my life. There is one who can give me value and identity once again. There is one that can set me free. There is one that can change my name. There is one that can change my identity. And she begins to believe with all of her heart. And she begins to rejoice. And and I don't know how it happened. I just know that this one who was a harlot and recognized as a sinner in the city is now at the feet of Jesus and she is broken before Him. And why is she broken? She's broken because her life has been forever changed. The Bible says that she is kneeling at His feet behind Him. Maybe because of the shame of people, but I don't know. She's there and she's kneeling. And the Bible says that she's crying. As was the custom when people would come into homes, there would be those that would meet them there and wash their feet and serve them. But that had not happened. But this woman is beginning to wet Jesus, his feet that are covered in dirt and dust and and filth, begin to cover his feet and begin to wash away and loosen up the dirt and the the filth that's on his feet. She takes her hair, and by the way, in this hour, hair is a symbol of glory for women. She takes her hair and begins to wash it, and begins to wash away the and take on the, the mud and the filth, and begins to clean the feet of Jesus. Her very glory, she's laying down so that she can wash his feet. She then begins to wipe away and give kisses to his feet. She's kissing him as a show of affection. 
because her life has been transformed and changed. She takes the vial of perfume and she begins to pour it out. And I don't know if that's all she owned. It very well could have been. She takes that alabaster vial and begins to pour out that perfume and begins to anoint his feet. It's a beautiful picture of worship. She's adoring him. She's worshiping him. She's loving him. How beautiful and how powerful it is. Oh, that we would be a church. All the more desiring to worship our King. Oh, that we'd be a church all the more desiring to pour out our love and to lay down our glory so that He receives all glory. Why did Jesus tell a story with 50 and 500? What was He doing there? Why did He tell that story? Because He was revealing the wrong thinking of the Pharisee. You see, that Pharisee was judging that poor woman. That Pharisee was looking upon that woman and judging her. It's a trap that many can fall into. There are two lies that the devil loves to tell. One is that you're better than others. The other lie is that you're worse than others. You see, if you get into a place of thinking that you're better than others, you begin to grow stagnant because you've got it all taken care of. And if you're thinking that you're worse than others, well, you can grow stagnant there too because there's no way you'll ever attain that level of spiritualities that others have around you. And so we just kind of go into this stagnant mindset. And in fact, like Simon, we begin to look around a whole lot. Oh, that's a spiritual one. That's a beautiful one in the kingdom. She's filthy. He's dirty. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sits up on the throne and he's high and lifted up. We have the beautiful privilege of lifting up our eyes and loving him with all that we have and are. But it doesn't stop there. What is the greatest command? What is the thing that I can do? What is it that you're calling us to, Jesus? What is that thing that you, that you want out of us? Well, Jesus answered that. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see, every relationship that God gives to us and allows us to have can be a spill out of our relationship with Him. How can I possibly give someone love if I don't know love? But because of my love relationship with Him, then I can reach out and love others. If I'm not intent on pursuing him, and that's what Jesus was speaking to to Simon about here. He said, look, this woman...
came and washed my feet. You didn't. This woman came and poured out her perfume and, and, and anointed my feet and, 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 and wept over me, and you didn't. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't do any of that. Church, we must be intent and passionate about loving the king so then we can walk in right perspective and loving others. But if we take our eyes off of the king and we begin to look to others and we start measuring each other, we become like Simon. And it becomes all about legalistic, keeping the law, keeping the rules, and measuring ourselves as to how well we've done. Well, we're all sinners. Guilty of all. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Washed and made pure and right and holy. And how great is His love. How great is His love that He wants to bestow upon us and through us. Passionately loving Him and passionately loving others. If you would bow your heads, I want to pray for us this morning. Father, this morning we surrender our hearts afresh to You. Lord, some of us have been born again in believers for 50 years. And we want to say to you this morning that your love is as new and fresh this morning as ever. God, your spirit is as alive and vibrant as ever. Lord, may we not be distracted with the things of this earth or even religion. But God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that are passionately serving and seeking after you. Lord, in this place this morning, there are people that are not born again and they don't have a relationship with you. And I thank you, Father, that today you're calling out to them and you're saying, come as you are. Come as you are. For Lord, I thank you that your arm is not too short and your hand is not too far drawn back that you can't touch a sinner right where they are and bring salvation and bring transformation. So, Father, we welcome you in this place, Holy Spirit, and we say, have your way here this morning. Lord, touch each individual in this place that our hearts may begin to burn afresh for worship and exalting you in our lives. And in doing so, our lives be transformed completely. Father, we thank you for your goodness in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.